Hi everyone, I'm proud to present our third health tech innovation podcast on digital health technologies and behavior change. Our program is hosted by the Montefiore Einstein Innovation Biodesign Training Program. Today's health tech innovation podcast guest is Dr. Jonathan Feldman. Dr. Feldman is an associate professor of pediatrics at Montefiore Einstein and professor of psychology at the Kirchhoff Graduate School of Psychology of Yeshiva University. Dr. Feldman is the director of the health psychology service at the Max and Celia Pons Family Psychological and Psychoeducational Services Clinic. He's an expert in health behavior change in asthma, asthma symptom perception, medication adherence, psychiatric disorders, and clinical health psychology. Dr. Feldman has extensive experience conducting randomized controlled trials of behavioral interventions in ethnic minority, inner city children, and others with asthma. He has received multiple R01 grants through the NIH. Neither Dr. Feldman nor I have any relevant relationship to disclose. Dr. Feldman, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Uh, can you take a few moments and explain your overall approach regarding health behavior change in asthma? Sure. So I usually like to tell my students uh, a story that was very influential in my training in terms of influencing how I approach health behavior change. So this was actually when I was uh, in graduate school and I was working in an asthma clinic and one of the residents was talking to one of our patients who was a smoker and was having lots of problems with their asthma and it was closely tied to their smoking. And the resident got very frustrated with the patient and started yelling at the patient, what are you doing to your lungs? Don't you know that you're going to die if you continue smoking like this? And I could see that the patient was getting very upset. And uh, I could see their face was turning red. And um, the exchange did not end well, and the patient ended up walking quickly out down the hall. And I thought to myself, they're probably going to go outside and immediately light up the cigarette. And this didn't seem like an effective way to change this patient's health behavior change. So, you know, the resident had good intentions in terms of wanting to change this behavior that was problematic for, for this patient, but just did not have the best approach for it. And so a lot of my approach to health behavior change has been influenced by um, different health psychology theories and, and different behavioral interventions. And so the, uh, the framework that I like to use revolves around motivational interviewing. And a lot of what we try to do is meet the patient where they are at. And so a lot of times we have patients who are prescribed medications. We do a lot of work with asthma and they don't feel like taking their medications or they're ambivalent about taking their medications. And we feel that if we play this role where we just tell the patients, this is what you need to do, they may resist. And if you think about in your own lives, if anyone tells you what to do, usually the immediate reaction is you want to do the opposite of what you're being told to do if it's not something that you're motivated to do. Um, so, you know, I would say that a lot of my approach has been influenced by this type of thinking. Um, we play, we place a lot of emphasis on the patient provider relationship and making sure that that 
relationship is a good one with lots of communication. Uh, we encourage patients to talk about the things that they don't like about, say, taking their medications or whatever the health behavior change is. And we certainly encourage that. And at the same time, we also encourage them to talk about the good things about their current behavior, which for our patients may be you know, not taking their medications because for, especially with kids, there may be embarrassment issues if they have to take their medication around others. And there's things that are maintaining that behavior. And we want to find out about it so we can <clears throat> help them come up with a plan in order to um, develop skills to help them change the behavior when they're ready to change the behavior and not try to move them along too quickly um, beforehand. So uh, that's usually how we tend to approach health behavior change is um, by having an open discussion about it and uh, starting where the patient is at in chronic disease models, there's so many different areas that health behavior change can occur. Uh, you know, if you're talking about uh, diabetes, there's exercise, there's diet, um, there's so many different components. And if a patient is really motivated to change their diet, then we usually like to start with where they're most motivated. So uh, that, that's our usual approach for how we uh, try to talk to patients about health behavior change. Uh, as the theme of our podcast series, can you describe your work regarding digital health technologies? How can these be utilized to affect successful health behavior change in patients? So we've been doing a lot of work actually through my collaboration with Dr. Sunit Jarawala and Dr. Marina Resnick. Um, we've recently developed an app called Asthma Excel Perception, uh, which is now available on the Android and Apple stores. And uh, it is based on a lot of the work that we have been doing um, regarding trying to work with patients to improve their ability to perceive asthma symptoms and to improve their medication adherence. And so what we've done is we've tried to transfer a lot of the techniques that I had developed through an intervention that involves having kids guess their peak flow. And then we try to make it a game where they guess their peak flow and try to get as close as they can to their actual peak flow. And so we've been able to, what's been really cool for me is to be able to see the intervention that we did using sort of old school technology. And now we have it integrated into the app where kids are able to enter their guesses uh, using a ruler and um, we're able to, to use colors, the green zone, the yellow zone, the red zones to, you know, really make some of these concepts come alive within the app. And um, what's been nice about it, too, is that it becomes a much more engaging task for, for kids. So they're able to get points if they are close between their guests and their actual peak flow. They get more points that then help them in the video game that we've designed for this app that involves avoiding different asthma triggers that are coming at the, uh, the player. We've introduced uh, educational animated videos that explain concepts. So um, symptom perception has is, is been a big part of my work and it's so critical, especially in an area like asthma where we have a lot of kids who don't recognize their symptoms of asthma 
and tend to ignore it. If they're doing something fun, if they're playing sports, um, they tend to disregard the symptoms and sometimes wait too long. And we've shown that this is a very big problem in kids, the underperception of asthma symptoms. So um, part of what we're trying to do through this app is improve their symptom perception by getting them to learn more where their peak flow is and then tie that together with their symptoms. And then we also have um, various medication reminders through notifications in the app too, to try to encourage patients um, you know, who want to take their medications to have a way of remembering to take them, which is a big issue. So um, we've been able to transfer a lot of the techniques that we were just doing in person with patients and you know especially with the pandemic this has really allowed us to do a lot of this work remotely and um, really certainly helps in terms of from a dissemination point of view in terms of uh, giving us a lot of advantages in being able to reach a large uh, segment of the population through using uh, an app versus the work that we had been doing where we would meet with each family one-on-one, -on -one, have them travel into the Bronx to meet with us. And in order to do the intervention, it's, it's been a, a great process for me to be involved in and creating this uh, technology and, and being able to bring an intervention over to the, to the app. Which features have you implemented within these digital health technologies? And how has the patient response been? So we've been able to introduce things like a leaderboard within the app where we can get users to compete against each other. And I know my kids and the video games that they play, that is a huge motivator for them as they try to get ahead of their friends. And so we're hopeful that that will be a, a nice feature uh, that patients will really respond well to. We have um, the animated uh, videos that we've put in there. We have chapters that are based on the national guidelines for asthma care um, and then quizzes that assess the patient's knowledge We've also introduced these push notifications that uh, remind patients to take their medications. Uh, we also have notifications that work with patients in terms of goal setting. So they're able to pick across different domains of their asthma self-management, um, different areas that they wanna set as a goal and then get reminders in order to meet that goal. It could be anything from increasing their exercise to improving their asthma symptom perception to improving their asthma control. We've also integrated weekly support messages based on those goals to try to help patients maintain their motivation. Um, we also have weekly check-ins with messages about how accurate the user is. And so they'll get a message at the end of the week telling them that you've been in the accurate zone 80% of the time, great job. We try to be very positive in the messaging that we use to try to uh, really engage the user. And then we've also introduced a portal for patients and providers where we can actually display um, graphically the data, which is a really nice feature so that people can see trends over time and see, for example, if their symptom perception is getting better over time. And then we hope providers will also take advantage of this to be able to you know, visually see a lot of the data that's being collected at home that they typically wouldn't have the time to get all of that information due to time constraints uh, during visits. So um, we've integrated a lot of these different features within the app, and uh, so far the, the patient response has been uh, going very, very well. 
How has these digital health technologies impacted patients, caregivers, and their healthcare providers? I think that it's it's really given us an opportunity to have this tremendous potential to influence behavior in a in a way like I was saying before that that does not involve as much provider time or any time. For example, our, our research staff um, spend so much time in some of the current work that we do, but in in our new study on the app, um, the intervention itself, it, the beauty of the app is that it pretty much runs itself. And then we can have these virtual remote check-ins and be able to work with the patients uh, around what's going on with the app and looking at their data through the portal. And so, you know, what we've shown so far in some of the, the earlier studies that Dr. Jarawala has done has shown that the other versions of Asthma Excel has led to improvements in asthma control and asthma knowledge and quality of life. It's also reduced asthma ER visits, hospitalizations, and oral steroid use. And then we also like to take a look at process outcomes as well. And we've shown very favorable outcomes thus far in showing high user satisfaction and also looking at time spent using the app. And, you know, one of the nice things for providers who don't have a lot of time to provide this level of education and assessment uh, because of the need to prioritize acute symptoms so that the focus within an office visit is usually not so much on prevention uh, because of the acute nature of a lot of visits that are happening. And so, you know, a lot of this information can get collected through the app that the provider can then have access to. And, you know, we hope that will facilitate communication. Um, a lot of the information that providers may not have even known about their patients. And, you know, there's lots of opportunities also for us to collect other areas um, of data on things like social determinants of health and um, be able to kind of mainstream some of that data collection so that we can get that information to various providers that can then help out um, and provide referrals. And you know, the app can certainly facilitate that as well. So we see a lot of great potential to improve communication between patients and um, as well as caregivers and help coordinate treatment so that all parties, the patients, the caregivers, and the providers can all be on the same page. Please take us through your journey to developing and launching a digital health technology that impacts health behavior change. What are some of the challenges to consider and how can these be overcome? It's a great question. There, I have learned so much about the process in the last couple of years, and uh, there are a lot of challenges, some that I anticipated and some that I did not anticipate when I first got into this area. Um, I will say the first challenge that comes to mind is that it is a lot, of, uh, a lot of work and a lot of time and money that goes into app development. Um, I found myself writing scripts for an educational video, and uh, you know, when, you, when you watch a two-minute video, you don't think about how long it may take in order to get the wording perfect um, to create the script and then even to record the script. Uh, even things like coming up with ideas for interactive video games. It's, it's such a competitive market out there, video games, and to be able to come up with something novel that will be appealing enough to, to have users want to keep coming back to the app. Um, it involves a lot of programming time. I mean, I think that 
this was the, the the biggest learning curve for me was was realizing just how slow things can happen because of how much work is involved. You you try to fix one minor bug along the way and it can lead to other bugs that develop. So you think you've got one thing fixed and then other things. Um, have problems that need to get fixed as well. And uh, you know, at times it can feel never ending the process. Um, but uh, the other uh, challenge I would say is, is the dissemination of the app can be a challenge as well. Um, it's really important, you know, not just to, to launch apps on you know, the, the Apple store and the Android store, but to raise awareness that it exists because you know, certainly people don't just stumble upon your apps um, accidentally, at least not in the masses. And so you know, in order to really raise awareness, you uh, need to do a lot of dissemination and um, some PR work in order to let people know that the app exists. But um, you know, I think that we've done a, a really nice job, though, in being able to overcome a lot of those challenges. And what I've learned from the process is that you know, perhaps the most important thing is having regular communication between all parties involved in app development. Uh, we've had a lot of contact with our uh, programmer, and uh, he's done an excellent job. And we've been able to uh, really quickly solve some of these problems that you know I, I thought maybe never ending. But you know, he as long as you can capture the bug and send it to the programmer, uh, that makes it a lot easier for him to be able to figure out where the problem is coming from. And uh, just having a lot of persistence and keeping the big picture in mind that you know really all of the hard work that we're doing is really to try to help patients better manage their, their asthma or their chronic condition and avoid having exacerbations. And, you know, the tools that we're giving patients can be really, really invaluable and, you know, prevent things like ER visits and hospitalizations. And so, you know, that really helped to maintain my motivation during some of the darker days when, you know, it seemed like it was taking years to, to get the app developed. Um, and I think, you know, also, uh, like I said before, for overcoming, you know, the challenges of dissemination can be done by simply, you know, spreading the word, which which is a lot easier these days due to technology. It's uh, making announcements uh, through listservs and, um, you know, really talking with PR people and uh, doing podcasts like this. Uh, hopefully, people will uh, have more awareness of the the work that we're doing to try to help patients with asthma. What advice would you give to the physicians that would like to create a digital health technology that incorporates behavior change methods? I'd say it's really important to get user feedback at every step of the way. And I think, you know, that's that's what makes our app special. And I think that's really important in, in any type of app development. And so we typically, we have a, a whole protocol that we go through as we develop apps. And we'll start with focus groups to get ideas, um, not only from the patients, if it's a pediatric study, we'll also wanna hear from the caregivers as well as the providers. All three parties are really important to hear their ideas for uh, the app. And then to be able to incorporate this feedback can take several rounds of adaptations in order order to really not only get the feedback into the app, but to be able to then troubleshoot and see any problems that are coming out um, or any new issues that are arising from some of the adaptations that we're making along the way. And so from you know, patients, we really like to hear what ideas do they have. They're, they're the people we're marketing the app for. We want to know what they want to see in the app and what their preferences are, what their problems are that they're experiencing with the app. Every 
every user that uses the app is a really important person in the process um, and letting us know whether the problems they're identified are being adequately addressed. And then, you know, the providers are, are really critical as well. So they can let us know if there's any uh, workflow difficulties because we really want the app to be something that can make their, their jobs easier and be able to get access to information in a quick and efficient way that they normally wouldn't be able to. So we want to try to make it as seamless as possible to integrate the information from the app with their workflow. What's the best way to view data in an efficient manner so that they can you know, really see visually some of the graphs we want them to be able to see to quickly see the trends and how their patients are doing. And, uh, and then I think it's also really important to use different tools that are available out there. For example, Google Analytics um, allows us to evaluate usage patterns and, and click through data, which it, it's really, it's truly amazing the amount of information you can get these days so easily through some of these tools like Google Analytics. Um, you know, the other thing I would say in terms of advice that I, I always try to be mindful of is notification overload. I know my phone throughout the day, notifications are going off left and right. And, uh, you know, I think we all are are very busy and we're all glued to our phones, but we also want to really be mindful of our patients. And, you know, as much as it's important to have notifications about medication reminders and things that they want reminders for, we don't want to go overboard and have them experience notification overload because then they may end up just uh, deleting the app from their phone. So um, I think that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind as well in digital health technology. How can these digital health technologies be leveraged for clinical research? I think it's really important to integrate with all of the various systems of care and, and getting clinics on board so that you can do the research that's so necessary to be able to provide the empirical support for uh, the interventions that you're working on. And so we've been very, very fortunate to work with a lot of different Montefiore outpatient clinics um, that have been really excited to support us and uh, to integrate our app uh, into their flow. And, um, you know, it's, it's really important to um, to, to network and you know really see that you're you're part of the team and we're all working together to try to help the patients. Um, we want to let the provider see the advantages of the app and and how it will help them with the care that they provide. Um, and it's really I, I think it's really important to collect research in order to provide that empirical support. Um, the thing that I have learned along the way once I got started in this field is that there really are very few apps available that are truly guided and supported by theory or empirically supported by data in, um, in the area of chronic disease and health. You know, there are apps out there, but not many of them have collected much data, and that's an important approach that we have in that our app is, is truly driven by different theories of um, health psychology and, and behavior change, as I was talking about before, um, and the importance of carrying out this clinical research so that we can then be able to provide empirical support and data in order to show the effectiveness of the app, because that will be much more convincing um, in terms of being able to show why the app works rather than you know just saying, well, we, we think it works, but not having the data to back it up. So clinical research is, is really important. And I think that's a, a really big part of what we need in the field of digital health technology. How do you see these technologies evolving in the next two to three years? So another good question. Uh, 
it's so funny because things change so quickly in in just a matter of six months that um you know it's it's exciting but also scary to think about you know what even two to three years is is going to look like in this space and you know I, I think that a really hot trend these days is integrating wearables uh we you know see a lot of people that have apple watches and um you know the whole industry of of smart sensors and uh, Bluetooth connected devices really allows us to collect physiological data so much easier than ever before. Um, you know, I it, starting in graduate school, I, I did a lot of work in psychophysiology, and um, you know, to to see the differences, even just in doing things like biofeedback, the differences between when I got started versus now, um, in terms of being able to just use your phone and and use Bluetooth connected devices in order to be able to um, do the things that we used to, you know, have to connect people and bring them into a lab and, and have a million and one wires everywhere. Um, so I think being able to integrate multiple sources of data in a way that is easy to understand and um, produce notifications um, is really important. Patients might not always be able to understand how to interpret different physiological measures that, that the app may collect. For example, if we collect pulmonary function, they may not actually understand what some of these measures are. But if we can translate the physiological data that we collect in a way that users can understand with simple language and um, uh, be able to provide notifications for them, let's say that their, their peak flow starts to drop, or let's say we notice um, heart rate variability, um, which is, which is a, a key indicator of health. If we start noticing um, that there are certain physiological changes that are happening through data we collect through wearables to be able to then send a notification to them to alert them that this is happening. You know, we know that patients um, often don't know what's happening physiologically to them and how that corresponds to what they're reporting as far as their, their symptoms. There's, there's always going to be discrepancies. There's going to be people who over-perceive, people who under-perceive, and people who accurately perceive. But when people are under-perceiving, if we can be able to integrate um, wearable technologies in the next couple of years, I think that'll offer tremendous advantages to, to users to be able to alert them about things before they get out of control. Um, you know, we're also seeing a lot of work that's being done in terms of sensors that can detect indoor air quality, um, which would be very, very useful, especially for the patients we work with who have asthma. Um, we're seeing a lot of artificial intelligence, tremendous growth there. Um, and a lot of these devices can learn individualized patterns, which is truly amazing. Um, being able to integrate alerts on pollen counts and environmental triggers. I think there's just so, so many things happening now in terms of technology um, that, you know, in the next two to three years, I think that, you know, a lot of these electronic sensors are going to become even more mainstream and prices are going to go down and, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to integrate a lot of this really cool technology into the app in, in the next couple of years. What are the risk, risks and benefits of these technologies? I think that one of the big risks I mentioned earlier is information overload. You know, I think that we can all 
end up with alert fatigue. And we're all so closely tied to our phones and technology these days. And, um, you know, we don't want to over rely on technology over human interaction and contact. I mean, I, I am a, a clinical psychologist, and I think that there is always going to be a role for us, even if it is done remotely even if it's done through things like Zoom, um, to be able to stay connected to patients, even though we may be relying more on technology and mobile health, um, I think that human connection is just so critical and it's gonna, it's gonna continue to be so important. So, you know, I, I think that is a risk. We don't wanna go too far away from um, you know, the, the human contact element. Um, but I think there's so much potential benefit. You know, we work a lot with kids. And you know, when we would do our in-person sessions before COVID, um, we'd look at the kids and they're always so distracted during sessions and they're always looking at their phones. Um, and I, you know, I see it with my own kids. And uh, I, my philosophy is that if kids and adults are always on their phones and spending endless hours on, on social media apps, why not try to take advantage of this and use this technology for good? I mean, wouldn't it be great if while they're looking at their phones, you know, important alerts are popping up that they would not normally have been aware of? Um, you know, a lot of our, our kids forget to take their medications, but if they're um, using uh, TikTok and um, they see that there's a reminder to take their medication, you know, that's the best way to, to capture their attention. And, you know, hopefully our ultimate goal is that by capturing their attention, we're able to make a difference and, you know, improve asthma control and, you know, other chronic diseases that we may be working on. And that's, that's truly our ultimate goal is to be able to use these um, technologies for maximum benefit and, uh, you know, hopefully improve uh, all of these different outcomes, because, you know, we see a lot of disparities, um, you know, especially in, in the Bronx in terms of outcomes. And, um, you know, we're hoping since a lot of our patients have uh, smartphones, almost all of them do, um, why not take advantage of this and have them use different apps to try to improve their disease control? Thank you again for taking the time to be with us today, Dr. Feldman. This was a great conversation. Is there anything else you would like to add? I just want to thank you again for inviting me. I think this is a wonderful forum to be able to exchange ideas and, and also raise awareness as to, you know, all of the exciting work that's being done in this area. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so much change happening so quickly um, that, you know, I appreciate having this podcast as, as a forum to be able to, you know, talk about this field of mobile health technology. Um, I, th I think it's great work that you guys are doing, and uh, it's an honor to be a part of this. Thank you so much again, Dr. Feldman, and um, thanks for joining us today, and have a great evening. Thank you, you too. 